you could win in APCO's Cash for Chrissy competition. That's right, APCO Joe. There's 1K to brighten your day. And 1K to give away to a mate for Christmas. APCO's Cash for Chrissy on now at APCO. <laughs> Welcome back to the Macca's Run here on SCN. Jordan Canellis with you. Tonight at 9pm on the station, the first of a three-match ODI series begins for Pakistan and Australia in Lahore. SEN will bring you the coverage with our experts Darren Berry and Bryce McGain. Sam Hargraves and John Donohoe will do the play-by-play. But one of our commentators during the three test matches that you heard here on SEN over the last couple of weeks recently completed is Jeff Lemon, and he joins me now on the program. Jeff, welcome to the show. Lovely to be here. Back in Australia now? Yes, just got back um, after a, a very full-on month um, in Islamabad, Karachi and, and Lahore. And uh, I think in, in the end we got a classic series, so I felt very lucky to, to be there by day five of the third test especially. First time you've been to the subcontinent in a little while, I imagine, with uh, with COVID? Yeah, first time I've left the country in two, you know, two and a half years, whatever it's been. Um, so very strange to go to an airport, you know, get on a plane, <laughs> get off at somewhere else and, uh, and, and be around massive crowds of people uh, all the time. But uh, yeah, but we had a, a wonderful reception. We were very warmly welcomed uh, and it was my first visit to Pakistan. So very glad to get over there and, and check it out. The uh, the end of the of the last test and Australia winning the the series happens almost exactly at the same time as Lance Franklin kicked his thousandth goal. So it kind of got, depending on which side of the fence you fall on, whether you're more a cricket fan or more a football fan, you, it might have got lost in the wash a little bit. So it almost was unjustly forgot about that Australia won the series. Not that we ignored it, but it just it got lost in, in amongst all the mayhem. Was the end of the test series one that that ultimately would have satisfied cricket fans? Oh, definitely, and and I think it's worth full disclosure that we were streaming Buddy's game in the box um, <laughs> at the ground in Lahore as well, just to keep an eye on things there. So we, we had to make sure we had at least a toe on the football side of the fence as well. But I think in terms of an Australian team having patience and having the discipline to find a way to win a series in Asia, it's not something that Australian teams have been very good at, especially in the last 15 years or so. Um, and the fact that they got through the first two test matches in unhelpful bowling conditions and managed to not panic, to not... There was never a batting innings where the Australian batting fell apart, which generally does happen at least once in, in that part of the world. And um, Whereas it was the Australians who managed to keep the bowling pressure on Pakistan enough that eventually they cracked um, in that fourth innings of the... The third test match, there was no guarantee that would happen, um, but it, it took really quality bowling throughout, you know, from in the first innings from the quicks particularly, and in the second innings from Nathan Lyon. And through that, is that was that one of the, the, the few times recently that we've seen Australia play with a, a markedly different attitude when going overseas? Because there is that tendency for Australia to just sort of implode a little bit, but this felt like there was a bit more grit about the side. Yeah, I think so. I think there's been a tendency for Australian sides, when particularly when they're unsure of themselves, to go to Asia and then act as though it's business as usual. You know, pick fast bowling attacks um, and and try to score quickly. You know, try to be aggressive batting and and then bring themselves undone. This team didn't do that. They were very patient with the bat. You know, they batted into the third day. Um, in the second test at Karachi, they they batted long every time they had the opportunity and didn't 
try to push the scoring rate too much in conditions that didn't enable it. You know, they did attack at certain times against the new ball and that sort of thing, but mostly it was a patience game. Uh, and then similarly with the bowling, you know, to be able to wait until the ball was reversing or whatever it might be to, to not over-attack until it was time to do so and then to attack hard when the moment came. So I think uh, test cricket in Asia from what we've seen is about waiting for the time when you when you have almost earned the right to to have a crack you know when when the opportunity comes up it can it can require a lot of waiting to get to that point so i think that's what they did from an individual player's perspective there was a couple of great stories nathan lyon and the wickets he took pat cummins his leadership again um there were some decent innings from david warner and steve smith but how much of the series will be defined by what usman kawaja was able to do Oh, all of it, really. I mean, even in the first test, like, yes, it was played on a very docile batting track, but Pakistan batted for two days at the start of that match. And Australian teams passed. It would have been very plausible for them to come out exhausted after two days in the field and um, fold relatively quickly in the first innings. They didn't do that. That was mostly down to Kawaja, David Warner as well made sure they got a big opening partnership going, which gave the rest of the order time to have a break and, and then time to come in and consolidate those gains and make sure they drew that first test match. So that was important. Um, Kawaja's big 100 in Karachi, and, and then he made another 100 in Lahore as well. So his crazy recent run of form um, goes on. 400s in half a dozen test matches, he's, um, he's, he's having a prodigious time of it. Andrew McDonald is still the interim coach at this present time. Do you think he'll be instated as the, as the full-time head coach? Does he want that? Uh, well, I'm sure he wants it. Um, you know, it's a promotion and a, and a raise and all the rest of it. Pat Cummins seems very happy with McDonald and Cricket Australia are not a very imaginative organisation when it comes to appointments. They always appoint the person who, is, who we all know is going to get the job months before they you know, apparently carry out a worldwide search to find the best candidate and then appoint the person who was two metres away the whole time. So I'd be pretty surprised if he doesn't get it. As for the one-day international series that begins tonight, a three-match series all played in Lahore, plus there'll be a T20 tacked on the back end of it. How undermanned is the Australian team right now heading into this series? Uh, well, how undermanned? Yeah, good question. So Mitchell Marsh is out injured. Uh, Josh Inglis has COVID, so I'm not sure if he'll... I don't think he'll miss the whole um, series, but he'll certainly miss the first game. They've called Matthew Renshaw in as... A replacement, so that's interesting. He didn't get um, any purchase in the Australian team while Justin Langer was the coach, but um, now that things have changed, he's being pulled into the one-day team for the first time. I don't know if he'll play in the 11, but he's he's there as, as backup anyway. Uh, the bowling attack, you wouldn't say it's it's the biggest um, bright lights of Australian fast bowling. Jason Berendorf, Nathan Alice, Ben Dwarshus. Um, likely to be the pace attack. Um, Adam Zampas there, obviously. Mitchell Swepson will probably get another crack as well um, after making his test debut and, and playing a couple of test matches without too much success, but he's been good in the white ball stuff. So it, it's very much a second-string Australian squad. Steve Smith was ruled out, even though he was supposed to be there. David Warner's going home to rest. Uh, Glenn Maxwell's getting married. So, yeah, the, the recognisable names... Um, aren't that numerous. It's Finch and Stoinis predominantly. And then uh, there'll be kind of all-rounders. I'm not sure who's going to open the batting even. They've got a few different options uh, who could do it. You know, Travis Head could do it. 
Um, Alex Carey could do it. Ben McDermott could do it, but who knows? And, and just recently, actually, um, Cricket Australia with a, a statement saying Australian spinner Ashton Agar has tested positive to COVID this morning, making him unavailable for the one-day series against Pakistan in Lahore. So he's uh, the very the, the most recent addition to that list. With all of that being said, though, does it open up some good opportunities for players who don't play too much white ball cricket? So Manus Labuschagne, Cam Green's going to be the one to come in for the absence of Mitch Marsh. Is this can this only be beneficial for those kinds of players? Yeah, well, Labuschagne's had a few opportunities, um, and so he'll get that that chance to establish himself a little more, I suppose. Cameron Green is hugely highly rated. Uh, I think the only issue with him is you'd want to be careful that. You're not having him overdo it after a, a test series where he spent a fair bit of time uh, both batting and bowling, but he should get through three ODIs given they don't have a, a lot to do after this. Um, so, yeah, the opportunities are there, but it's also it can be a double-edged sword. We saw in Australia Centre a kind of second-tier side to South Africa a few years ago. It was uh, Joe Many and, uh, and Daniel Worrell and Chris Tremaine from memory who got sent over and, and got absolutely smashed around by the South Africans for a few matches and it didn't do them any good in terms of um, establishing an international career. There are important matches coming up for the women's national team as well. The World Cup semi-finals uh, both being played uh, in the next two days. So Australia take on the West Indies tomorrow at 9am and then South Africa mm. and England the day after. Um, today we learnt that Elise Perry has been ruled out of the semi-final tomorrow. Always a big blow for the Aussies um, when Elise Perry's unavailable. Uh, but at a, at a semi-final stage, they handled the last group games without her. Um, but at a semi-final, how much larger does the hurdle seem for, uh, of her absence to jump over? Yeah, look, I think, I think Australia are very fortunate in that they've got particularly so many all-rounders um, and, and such good reserve personnel that they can cover just about any gap. But... Perry, particularly in run chases in the middle order, uh, her her partnership record with Meg Lanning is extraordinary. They average 96 when they bat in partnership together in one-day international cricket. You know, they've made over 2,000 runs batting together in, in that format. So, and, and they showed that earlier in the tournament with a, a big partnership in a big run chase that just made it look far easier than it had any right to. Australia at one point knocked off the two biggest World Cup run chases in history in back-to-back matches in this tournament. You know, that's that's the way they, they go about their business. Um, but West Indies have been a pretty dicey team. They won a couple early, um, a couple of tight games, and then they've looked very ordinary since then. So um, if things go to form, Australia should absolutely steamroll them, but uh, you never know. Is, uh, is, a, is the biggest threat perhaps to... Uh, Australia, say, let's say Australia make the final, of course. Would it be South Africa? Are they the biggest competitor? Yeah, well, South Africa, uh, they've been on the rise for probably three or four years. They've been improving. So they made the semi-finals in 2017, the last time we had a 50-over World Cup. Um, but they, they made those semis as very much an underdog. They were up against England, and they ran England close, but they weren't really expected to. You know, They were still a, a team that had a handful of of star performers and then a few making up the numbers. Um, it's that next level of South African cricketers that have stepped up. So they've got a really good team, one through 11 now. They've got a varied team attack. They've got all-rounders. I mean, they're missing their usual captain and uh, dominant all-rounder, Dono Bernicke. She hasn't been able to play in the whole tournament. And even without her, they've been 
exceptional, they went unbeaten through the group stage, except for the match against Australia, in which they did play pretty well still. So they're definitely a chance. You know, they ran Australia close in the T20 World Cup semi-final as well a couple of years ago. So if there is a team out there who's going to knock off Australia, it would be South Africa. It won't be England because they've been all over the place recently. Jeff Lemon with us here on the Maccas Run talking cricket. Uh, Jeff, within hours of one another this morning, there were two reports claiming Justin Langer is in the eye of two separate cricketing teams. The Telegraph in the UK say that England's the national team are looking at him. Ben Horn at News Corp said the Hobart Hurricanes are also mm. interested in Justin Langer. Uh, where do you think Justin Langer's future lies? Uh, well, look, far be it from me to, to try to get inside the head of... Uh, Justin Langer, many have tried and, and no one's ever entirely sure um, what's going on in there. Uh, but I, I, I would find it hard to imagine him wanting to take on the England job. It's a poison chalice anyway. The England domestic system is a shambles at the moment. The ECD is a shambles as well. Um, and, you know, I mean, Langer often expressed his displeasure with the media when he was working as Australian coach. If he didn't like that, he's not going to enjoy being England coach. There's about 20 times more newspapers and they're about 20 times more vicious. So that environment, I don't think, um, would be a, a very attractive one. The only thing that would make it attractive would be if they offer him a paycheck too big to turn down. But uh, a big bash team would be much closer to home and, um, and, and allow him to to chill out a bit more after a, a hectic few years, rather than going straight into another you know 320 days of the year on the road um, international job. Do you think that'll eventually happen though for Justin Langer? Will the, will the national team job pop up for him? Well, I, uh, I just question whether he would actually want to take it. I think the reason he was effective for a time as an international coach with Australia was because he really wanted to coach Australia. Um, I think that's where his emotional investment was. So I'd, I'd be interested to know whether he would be willing to coach a team against Australia and, and be um, have that emotional investment with another country where for him it's always been about patriotism as much as professionalism. Just one last one away from the Australian scene. Um, how, what kind of pressure or, or scrutiny is Joe Root under at the moment in his position as England skipper? Yeah, immense pressure. Um, I don't think it's so much about... I mean, their the results have been terrible. They've won one test in the last 17. Um, it's also widely acknowledged that Joe Root is roughly the only player in the 11 who's actually guaranteed a spot on ability and form. So it is hard to, to pick another captain. Uh, so it's not like there are lots of good candidates waiting in the wings and, um, and and therefore he's he's responsible for how the team's been going. The team he's leading is a busted operation. It's not functioning. The domestic system that's supposed to provide players isn't functioning. The, the coaching system at England level isn't functioning. Players who come into the team aren't getting better. These are all things that are not Joe Root's fault. You know, they're just things that are happening around him. So um, blaming him doesn't really make sense, but I think he's also probably exhausted and would benefit from having a break, even if it is only for a season. Um, he's also not much chop as a tactician or a, um, or a selector when he uh, has influence on which teams to pick. So um, I think it's probably a good time to give him some time off, but there are very few options to replace him. Jeff, uh, thank you very much for coming on the program tonight and uh, and bringing us up to speed with what's happening around the cricketing worlds and uh, enjoy uh, whatever you watch of 
the Pakistan-Australia match tonight, which will run into the early hours of the morning. Thank you very much, though, for joining us. No worries at all. Jeff Lemon with us here on the Macca's Run on SEN, cricket writer, broadcaster and podcaster. We'll take a break on SEN. Your thoughts on the series tonight begins at 9pm on SEN, 0433 to send through your thoughts. We'll come back with more after this. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Macca's together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.